And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. And you can read this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Well, good morning once again. Really good to see you and to, to be with you. Um, I don't watch a lot of live TV. I don't know if anybody actually watches live TV anymore, and so I don't see a lot of commercials anymore, but I did watch uh, a month or two back The Last Dance, the documentary of the 98 Chicago Bulls season, and there were commercials in that. And so even though this was just like a month into COVID, uh, all of the commercials were already all over it. It was unbelievable. Every single commercial was exactly the same. They all started the same way, like in these uncertain times. And then they all had the exact same phrase, which was, now more than ever. It didn't matter what the product was, what the business was, what they were selling. You know, it'd be like Reese's, but it was like, now more than ever. And in every commercial, it was like dancing children with like this dramatic inspirational music in the background, you know, they're like FaceTiming grandma, everything is great, you know, uh, and then it'd be like Reese's, you can eat them at home. Didn't matter what it was, the message was the same. Of course, I see the, the internal flaw in all of these commercials, you know, by saying like, we can get through this, we are resilient, nothing can stop us. But it's like literally coronavirus. Coronavirus can stop us. Like that's why this commercial exists is because it just stopped us. Uh, we look at our world and we see this, this virus and it's spread. We see people losing their jobs, economic collapse. It's like all of these things can stop us. I mean, the, the social injustice and, and racial inequality in our country, it's like these things can stop us. Uh, a more appropriate and a more honest commercial would be like, everything is awful right now. Not much we can say about it. Reese's, you know, might make you feel a little bit better, to be honest at least. Now, the, the reality is that this is a feature of American culture. We want to believe that we are autonomous, self-sufficient, uh, overcoming human beings, all right? This is the message of Hamilton, as far as I can tell. I'm only 10 minutes into it. It's a lot more singing than I expected. It seems to be all right, though. The reality is that we think we will be the generation. We think we will be the ones that will overcome 
injustice. We will be the ones that fix bad government and, and all the problems of society. It will be us if we can just come together with enough clarity and enough strength. And the reality is that that's just not true. In our own strength, with our own resources, I mean, if that was really possible, it probably would have happened in one of the generations in the past. And that doesn't mean that we as Christians don't work towards all those things. We've been saying that throughout this series on the Lord's Prayer, but it means apart from God, apart from His grace and power, we will never accomplish all the things. It won't all be dancing children and inspirational music in the end. If nothing else, this season has taught us that we are only a microscopic virus away from the total collapse of our, our lives, life-threatening illness, economic collapse, people losing their jobs and their livelihoods. We're always only a phone call away from the worst day of our life. And the reason for this is that we are creatures of need. We are needy creatures. We need God. We need one another. We need so much in this life, but everything within us, the, the pride within us pushes back on that need, and we want to be the ones that can overcome, that provide for others, but nobody has to provide for us. And yet there will never be a time when we are no longer in need. And so Jesus, he invites us, he commands us even to bring our need before him with honesty. So much of the scriptures are about our need of God, our need of relationship, our need of help. And in the prayer we're looking at today, give us today our daily bread. That's the phrase we're looking at today. And this is so much more than, than just asking for the food that we need for today or even the daily necessities that we need in our lives. This is a, it's a massive statement. We've been saying all along that the Lord's Prayer is not just a pattern for our prayers, it's a pattern for our lives. And so give us today our daily bread. It's, it's, it's an acknowledgement of our need. It's, it's an act of, of humility to say that we cannot provide for everything we want everything we need. It's an acknowledgement of dependence on God. It's a confession of our own pride, and, and it's a decision to, to look for the bread of God instead of the food of this world. And so give us today our daily bread. We're going to look at three things. First, why we're needy creatures. Second, how God provides for our every need. And then third, how to pray your needs and the needs of others. It's a why we're needy, how God provides, and then how to pray. So the first thing is why we're needy creatures. And I don't know if you've thought about this. I, I taught on this a couple years ago in one of our first gatherings here because I think it's so important. But the fact that we are needy creatures is, is not the result of our own sin. It's not the result of brokenness. Human beings are, by creation, creatures of need. Need didn't enter the world when, when Adam and Eve sinned as if, beforehand human beings were fully autonomous they could do everything they could do it even without god but no we were created to be in need created by god's design to need him and to need other people jesus was in need he needed in his time on earth he needed his father's presence he needed food and water he needed family and friends at the end of all time, when, when all sin and, and brokenness has been wiped away, when it's all a distant memory, we will still need God. We will still be relational beings that need one another. We will still need help. We will need food and water. To be human is to be 
in need. And so to reject our own needs, which we do all the time, we can do it out of pride. Like the other day, my neighbor was, uh, was digging holes to plant some like good-sized bushes, and, and they didn't have a shovel, so they were digging by hand. Uh, and so I offered uh, a shovel. I was like, hey, would you like a shovel? I didn't have my shovel. Mark still had my shovel. I was like, hey, do you, would you like a shovel? And they were like, no, 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 no. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I was like, okay, I'm going to go get you a shovel. So I rang somebody else's doorbell. They had a shovel. And this guy's like, you won't believe my shovel. I'm so happy you asked. I've got all these tools, thousands of dollars, so that I never need to ask for anybody else's tools. They just sit here all the time. It's like we're so happy to help somebody, but we never want to be the one in need, even if we're like digging with our own hands. But to be human is to be in need. And so to reject our neediness, it's, it's not just unwise and it's not just prideful. It's actually dehumanizing. It's, it's rejecting our own human nature in the way that God has designed us and wired us. The fact that we sleep for a third of our lives should tell us we are in need. We are creatures in need. I mean, for a third of our lives, we're basically not existing. We're just in a dark room, horizontal, resting because we need that rest. Now, there's another reason why I think we resist the fact that we're needy creatures, and that's because we often have a low view of the physical world. And there has always been within Christianity, within religion, there's sort of a pendulum swing where there's an emphasis on the spiritual world or there's an emphasis on the natural world. But Jesus is always holding these things together. The Lord's prayer holds these things together. Jesus' prayer is not merely for the spiritual realm. He cares about our bodies, cares about our health, cares about our relationships, about our food, about our clothing, about our shelter, about our societies and economies. This, in fact, was one of the, the big criticisms of Jesus in his, in his day, this, this hyper-religious culture that he inhabited. They said he, he was an, an eater and, and a drinker, a, a glutton and a drunkard. They, they couldn't understand why he would spend his time with such earthly people as, as tax collectors and sinners. They, they couldn't believe he would waste his first miracle on making more wine to keep a party going. Now, Jesus is always providing for physical needs because there's value in our physical world. And so the pattern in the Lord's Prayer is that we start with the spiritual. We start by praying, God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But as soon as we do that, we begin to pray for our own needs on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole second half of the prayer, is, as we're diving into it today and through the rest of this series, it's all about our needs. It goes from, from so high and lofty, talking about the kingdom of God, to coming down so lowly that it's asking for bread and for forgiveness and for guidance, deliverance. J.I. Packer, who wrote my favorite book on the Lord's Prayer, he was uh, one of the most important theologians of the 20th century British gentleman, really soft-spoken, incredible guy. He passed away on Friday, 93 years old. But in, in his book, I already had this quote in here before he passed away, but Packer wrote, bread is man's staple diet, both in the ancient and the modern world. And so bread here in the Lord's Prayer stands for all of life's necessities and the means of supplying them. And so Packer goes on to write that praying for our daily bread includes praying for justice in our world. It, it involves praying for the end of poverty in our world, that we would all have 
our daily bread. It means praying for our healthcare systems, praying for our economies, praying for whole families, praying for children to find adoptive homes, praying for all the needs of our community. They're all insinuated in this prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And so the Lord's Prayer affirms our need for God's presence and his power at, at every turn. It admits we can't have healthy bodies and, and safe places apart from God's giving, apart from his provision. And so recognizing our own need, that's a mark of profound spiritual maturity in our lives. The ability to, to ask for what we need and to ask for help from God and others, that's a mark of maturity in us. And so the second thing is how God provides how does God provide for our every need? I don't know if you've noticed how many times in the scriptures God leads his people into a position of need so that he can deliver them. I mean, so much of the, the storyline of Israel is God leading the people into a position of need and then setting them free. They're in the desert for 40 years. God hovers over them in a cloud by day and fire by night so that they have shed, uh, shade out here in the you know, bright, brutal sun. And then at night, they have warmth and they have protection from their enemies. It says for 40 years, their sandals didn't wear out, their clothes didn't get holes. For years, God provides manna in the wilderness. They literally just wake up to breakfast every single day. But the command was not to collect more than you needed for that day. If you did, it would immediately spoil. It was daily bread. Again and again, Israel is surrounded by enemies or taken into exile or faces a famine. And as soon as they cry out to God, walls come crashing down. Enemies turn against one another and wipe each other out so that Israel doesn't even have to fight. God does so much to provide for their every need, and he often does it in these miraculous and incredible ways. Other times it's more normal and, and more usual. And then when the Son of God comes to earth, when Jesus comes, he comes in need. He doesn't come preformed as, as an adult, pre-educated, ready to change the world. He comes through the womb of Mary. He comes as a baby in need of his mother, in need of loving care from his family. He was completely dependent on others as, as a child, like all other babies. He cried. He had his diaper changed. He grew up scraping his knees and needing Band-Aids. He had friends growing up. He learned carpentry from his father. He studied the scriptures. Luke 2 says that he grew in wisdom and stature as a young man. It wasn't a fault. It wasn't sin to be in need, to be dependent on others. It was part of the reality that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And then in his teachings, his parables, so much of his parables are about need, the, the lost coin, the, the lost son, the treasure in the field. So many of his miracles are about meeting a need, and, and in some cases he even created the need in the first place. You think about when he led them out on the hillside and taught all day long to where they were hungry and had no means of getting food, and then he provided food for the 5,000 and then later for the 4,000. He created a need so that he could miraculously meet it. But when I look at Jesus' miracles, the one example I wanted to, to look at through this lens this morning is in Mark 5. It's the story of Jairus and his daughter, and then the woman with the bleeding disorder, which you might say, wait a second, that's two miracles, but it's one example, so I'm going to just use it as one, all right? So Mark 5. Jairus is a proud Jewish 
a ruling authority, a religious leader in the culture. He's, he's, he's an elite in this culture. And so Jesus is way beneath him on the ladder of success, on the ladder of power. And yet Jairus' daughter is about to die. She's on her deathbed. She is breathing her last breaths. Jairus, as a father, has probably exhausted every other possible option, doctors, everything he can think of. He's tried absolutely everything, but his very last resort is to go and run into town and try to find this Jesus. He's in a position of of great, of desperate need. And so he finds Jesus in a crowd, and the text says that he falls at his feet. And you can imagine the pain and anguish of a father who's about to lose his daughter. And Jesus, or or rather Jairus says these words, please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And so Jesus goes and and begins to walk with Jairus. Now as they're walking, there's there's an entire crowd around them. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's, he's popular, he's controversial, so crowds are following him everywhere. And it says the crowds are, are pressing in on him and the, and the disciples as they're, as they're walking to Jairus' house. And all of a sudden, somebody reaches out and touches Jesus' coat, the corner of his coat. And Jesus stops. And he looks around and he says, who touched me? And the text says that he had felt the power go out of them out of him. And, and the disciples immediately are like, teacher, there is a big crowd here. Let's keep moving. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's hurry. And he stands and he waits. And then this woman who has had a bleeding disorder for decades, she's unclean in Jewish culture. She comes and the text says that she too falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus simply says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free. Meanwhile, Jairus' friends approach with the bad news. They say, Jairus, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus' response is this, don't be afraid, just believe. And so they continue to walk to the house, and when they get there, it says that there's a great crowd mourning the death of this little girl. But Jesus takes Jairus and his wife upstairs, kneels down by the little girl and says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately she came back to life. Two miracles, two desperately needy people. At the end of their line, all they could think to do was find Jesus and fall at his feet. That is exactly the kind of need that we ought to cultivate in our own lives at all times, desperate for the healing touch of Jesus, desperate for his word, desperate to be with him where he is. If you think of Jesus' beatitude, some of his most famous sayings, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who mourn, they're all about those who lack something, all uh, about those who are in some kind of need. It's Jesus' way of saying, blessed are the needy, for they will be satisfied. We've said before, being a Christian is not primarily about being a good person like Jesus. It's about being the kind of person that Jesus would spend time with. Being the needy, broken, dependent, falling at the feet of Jesus kind of people that Jesus loves to forgive and heal and restore.
We said a while back, Jesus is only really hard on two groups of people in the scriptures. It's the rich and the religious. Those who think they have no need. That they have enough control, enough, enough authority, enough money in this life that they no longer are in need of Jesus. And Jesus, like, like the rich young ruler, he lets them walk away without salvation and he doesn't even follow them. It's terrifying. And yet to everybody else, he pursues. To those who are in greatest need, he opens wide the doors of forgiveness for them. And so this prayer is bring your need, bring your need to God. That's what all of prayer is, bringing your need to God. And that's the third thing. How do we pray our needs? How do we pray the needs of others? Jesus began this teaching on prayer by saying, when you pray, do not pray as the hypocrites do, who pray to be seen by others. Instead, he says, go into your closet, close the door, and pray to your Father. Now, of course, the prayer starts with great boldness, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then we reach these petitions that are just so basic. You can almost miss it, the, the transition happens so quick. And just as the first half of the prayer takes a lot of boldness to pray, the second half of the prayer takes equally great boldness because it forces us to admit our need. Give us today our daily bread because we don't provide for ourselves. Forgive our debtors as we for, forgive our debts as we have forgiven, forgiven our debtors because we are in desperate need of forgiveness ourselves. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one, because we need guidance and deliverance. Now it says in, in verse 8, just before Jesus gets into this famous prayer, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so the question might be, well, if, Jesus, if, if God already knows what we need, then why do we bring all these needs to him over and over and over? And the answer simply is, is relationship. We, we bring our needs to him as a, as a child brings their needs to any other good father. As, as you know, parents of three boys, our, our boys are often in need, you know, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, but our youngest, Jack, he just turned six, and so he still needs help. He's the only one that still needs help making breakfast in the morning. So every morning we come down, he's been up forever, and he wants help making his oatmeal. He can't reach the microwave, you know. And so when he asks us, can you help me with my oatmeal, we're not upset about it. We don't feel like he should be able to make his oatmeal by now. We're actually happy to do it because the process of just making oatmeal for him is an expression of our relationship. It's part of our love for him. And as we're making his oatmeal, he's like sitting at the counter, just waiting and chatting happily about whatever his dreams were, you know, whatever's going on in that little mind of his. It's an avenue for relationship for us. Even if we know what he needs, we still want him to bring those needs to us because we're in a relationship. And it's the same with our Father. We bring our requests to God out of relationship. And the main form of prayer in the scriptures, far and away, it's, it's petition, which is simply asking for the things that we need. It includes intercession, which is asking for the needs of others. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, it's, it's a plural prayer. We're praying not only for our own needs, but for the needs of all those around us. And the way I want to I encourage you this week, I want to encourage you each, each day in the week to come, a really simple application. At some point in the day, it could be 
early in the morning with your Bible and journal. It could be as you're driving. It could be if you don't have the time at work, you know, like in between meetings, you can type out a prayer on your phone and people think you're doing something really important. But find a time to do this. Ask God 20 things. Bring 20 needs before God. They can be simple. They can be profound. They can be on behalf of, of, excuse me, of yourself or of others. But make a list of 20 things to bring before God. And so I'll give you an example. Number one, God, help me come up with 20 things. It seems like a lot. Help me come up with 20 things. Father, grow my prayer life. Teach me how to pray. Lord, give me strength for work this morning, for those meetings that I don't want to do, the emails I don't want to send. Father, bring the spread of this virus to an end in our community. May it not wipe us out any longer. Five, Lord, we really need a new building for the church. We need a place to meet. And if it could have like hardwood floors and those like, you know, exposed brick walls and is like super urban and trendy and stuff, so all the kids want to come, that would be ideal. Six, Father, I pray for my friend who is really overwhelmed. Seven, God, thank you for how you answered that prayer of mine for help yesterday. Lord, I pray that we don't have to replace our furnace because that's not an expense we want this year. God, I really want this promotion or this opportunity at work. Lord, I'm at 10. Help me to stay focused and thank you for being with me. Father, may Joseph have a good day with his friends. Give him new friends. Give him more friends. Father, thank you for the ability to exercise and the ability to get outside yesterday. Father, help my friend who's struggling with depression. Would you encourage them? Would you support and build them up in this moment? Father, I pray for my pastor friends, Byron and Eddie, and and the challenges they're facing because of COVID. Would you encourage them, Lord? Father, be with Jude. Help him have a great baseball game. Thank you for giving him the ability to play and enjoy it. Lord, may your kingdom come in Colombia. May we see great things done in your name here, O Lord. Father, forgive me for the thoughts of greed and of, of desire for power and of lust in my heart. Would you forgive the sins of my heart? Father, would you be with Jack? Help him have confidence for school. Father, let there just be school in the fall, please. Can I get an amen? Number 20, Lord, thank you that I could come up with 20 things. There is so much that I need from you. Will you hear my prayers? Thank you for your presence. 20 things you could easily come up with, 100 if you took the time. As soon as you get rolling, they just come and come. And N.T. Wright, he talks about cold prayers and hot prayers. There's times where cold prayers are, are, are basically what I'm, I'm just giving examples of. Would you, would you help us with this? Thank you for this. I pray for this person. They're, they're kind of the more measured, ordinary prayers, and those are so important. But there's other times when our prayers are, are white hot, when we're just pouring out our hearts before God. And if you can only pray one thing, but you can pray it 20 times, that's perfect as well. If there's a burden so heavy on your heart, something that you are so broken over, take that to the Lord over and over and over again. And then as J.I. Packer writes in his book, once you've prayed for today's bread, for your needs, the task then becomes contentment. To trust that whatever is given to you in response to your prayers is for your good. That is the answer of God. 
whether it's much, whether it's little, whether, whether the prayers even go unanswered. That's a way for us to acknowledge that God has met a deeper need of ours in some way. We presented him with one need and he didn't respond because there's a deeper need that we needed to see. And so here's the last thing. It's, it's always the last thing. It's always the most important thing. All of this, our, our need, God's providing it, all hangs on one massive need, and that's our need of forgiveness. So many of Jesus' parables were about forgiveness and our, our great need and the cost of forgiveness. God can't just wave off the sin that we have committed against him, no matter how big or how small. It's all against a holy and righteous God. And so our, our sin need, our sin debt is against us no matter what. The scriptures say, Romans 3, the cost of our sin is death. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Someone has to pay the debt. And it's supposed to be our death, but God provides for our greatest need as well, this sin debt that we hold. God takes care of that as well as Jesus comes willingly to earth. Not to just teach us about our need, not to just just creatively and, and miraculously meet needs on earth in this way that, that lo- makes us look at him as a great teacher. But instead, having never sinned in his life, he went innocently like a lamb to the slaughter, to the cross. He died in our place as a ransom or as a payment for our greatest need. And when it was finished, remember the, the, the curtain in the temple which represented a a, a separation between us and God. It was split in two from top to bottom. So in the moment of our forgiveness, we have complete access to the Father in prayer. Nothing in between us whatsoever. And even more, Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, the ultimate display of God's power. And so now we can enter God's presence. Through the curtain, we can go directly to our Father in prayer. We can come immediately to the Lord's table together for communion. Not because we've done anything to earn it, but because Jesus committed himself to eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners like us. And so we keep saying and we'll keep saying it that the first step in Christianity is not to be like Jesus, it's to be the kind of person that Jesus would spend time with desperate, willing, believing, hoping, non-pretentious, sincere. Jesus said he didn't come to call the healthy and the wealthy. He came to call the broken and the needy, those in need of a physician. And so embrace your need. Bring it to the Father in prayer. Like Jairus, like the woman with the bleeding disorder, find him and fall at his feet. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray.